Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Alright, hello and welcome to the China Shop, everybody. We are opening the doors for an exciting bonus episode as we've got Eric from ES Invests back with us again, and he is here to discuss my latest, uh, shall we say, struggles and my uh, plan of action to recover from them. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to just take a moment here to thank some of our friends, uh, the guys at Trade Pro Academy and Orderflow Labs. If you are looking for institutional quality trading education, make sure you check out tradeproacademy.com. And if you're trading futures, uh, you should really check out the custom tools and studies over at Orderflow Labs. Make sure we have links for all that stuff in the episode description. We will wait patiently now while everybody clicks on those and checks them out. All right, Eric, you win. I couldn't hold it longer. I was just sitting here. I started going through different tabs. I was just like, man, we'll see how long this goes. Oh, man. I was like, oh, I wonder how uncomfortable I can make this. <laughs> Dude. I, well, that's a fun way to open this up, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's to get me uncomfortable. There's like just so <laughs> seldom things. I think the most uncomfortable I've ever been was I did a um, a hot yoga class with my rugby team in college. And there was a probably 60-year-old lady that was running the class. And mm -hmm. I'm not kidding, dude. Like, when I looked around the room, I saw the nutsack of at least four people. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. What is happening in here? Because all the dudes were being cheeky as hell, and they wore, like, um, man thongs. Oh, of course they did. Dude. It, it was exactly what you would expect it to be. So it, th that is like one of the few times where like in at least my recent past decade history where like <laughs> I was legitimately like, oh, my God, this is so awful. Oh, that poor lady. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, she was literally just trying to help us loosen limber, be more flexible human beings. And, and there's nut sacks everywhere. It is not. She deserved better. It sounds like a military thing. Yeah, that is, a, yep, yep, same, same. Dude, rugby teams are so similar. I think that's one of the reasons why rugby and military just goes together because it's like the same exact kind of people. Right. Oh, well, now that we got that out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, last time we chatted uh, was was uh, what, Wednesday? Yes, sir. And then after we shut the mics off, I kind of was telling you about some of the struggles that uh, I just recently had. And then you suggested that maybe we get together and do kind of a, a special here where the two of us kind of talk about that plan. Because that's something that like nobody really ever talks about, right? How often mm -hmm. do you see those Twitter posts? Like, just blew up my account today. Here's how I'm going to fix it. Yeah. And I, I think it's really cool um, just that you're willing to be that vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not comfortable. Nobody likes this part of the trader dialogue necessarily. There's a lot of ego suppression that has to happen in order to do this. And that's actually one of the things I admired 
that you even like put it out there before, you know, you and I discussed doing a session on it, because for me personally, some of the most formative moments in my trading career, I've been doing this for almost 16 years now. Mm -hmm. And some of my most formative moments is when I had conversations with my mentor, literally just like this, where I would come to him either after doing something that I thought was good, and he would quickly let me know that it was not good. Or if I did something that I know was not good, and I would essentially make myself vulnerable to him mm. and his feedback and his input. And I think just as we say in the Marine Corps, steel sharpens steel. I truly believe that that applies in the trading world. If we want to get better at this, it's just like if you want to get better at anything else, it's so important to get an external look or what I like to refer to it as an external audit on what you're doing because we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Our own biases may be whatever they are, and we may or may not be aware of them. Like getting that external input has literally been some of the most formative moments in my trading career. So when we batted this idea around, I was actually really, really stoked, not because I enjoy these conversations. I actually don't. It, it's always a bummer to me, especially like when a friend of mine, you know, has a setback like this. I don't enjoy that whatsoever, but I enjoy the opportunity for us to get better together as traders. And I think this is, you know, one of the best possible ways we can do it. Just as we spar um, in jujitsu or Muay Thai, you are fighting your friends before you go fight other people. In this case, you know, you and I as friends will spar together, talk about this plan, and then ideally we'll go back both to the markets better and make more money. That's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm here for. Like I've learned pretty quickly that there's no real place for ego in this game. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I try to have as little of one as possible. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to hearing everything you got to say. Uh, and I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it come out of this, uh, you know, stronger and better. That's the plan. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think over the course of the dialogue, if anything other than that happens, it means that I failed you on my side and I refuse to do that because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, this is a big, I, w I wouldn't call it a burden, but definitely it, the main job I have is to try and help you identify areas to improve, identify areas to sustain. Um, and I really do take that, that pretty seriously because I think I think this is where traders are made, this right here. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like we can backtest stuff. I honestly don't know anybody who hasn't had a backtest that looks really good that's backtested. I literally don't know anybody. Right. But when we look at the profitability of retail traders, you can clearly see there is a very stark discrepancy between the vast majority of people who can backtest, create a profitable backtesting strategy, and then the people who can actually implement it. Right. So this this is where this is where it happens and i think just for the listeners um for them to understand the way that i think about this stuff i truly do approach these conversations with agape love and if you're unfamiliar with that term it means that i genuinely care about the well-being of the person that i'm talking to none literally nothing of what I'm going to go through with you is designed to make anybody feel stupid, feel bad. I could possibly, I couldn't possibly care less about that. Mm. The name of the game here is to have a conversation with a friend of mine. And the entire basis of that is your prosperity. And really I get to derive value from this conversation too, because I'm going to share examples from my side of the case and also be receptive to feedback. This is in no way 
a one-sided dialogue. And then the other thing I'll note real quick is my general communication style is straight to the point. I am curt. Um, I certainly n do not mean to offend anybody with the way that I speak. It's just how I've been bred. This is how really most of the feedback that I've gotten in my life via the Marine Corps is pretty terse. Um, <laughs> so it won't exactly be to that degree. But my my goal is not to conflate the message with all this additional verbiage and just to try to share like pointed information so that it's actionable. All right. So hopefully this is not too short of an episode then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if that's the case, then it's just, hey, bro, you're fucked. And then we're out of here. <laughs> all right. Well, where do you want to start? So I read through your article and... Obviously, for anybody that hasn't listened to it, I think it would be really great. I'm sure you can link to it. Um, yeah, it'll be in the episode description. Perfect, because I think that's helpful. Um, the very first thing that would be helpful for me to understand is give me a rundown of the general strategy you are trying to deploy. Okay, let me pull up the right sheets here then. And while you're pulling it up, the for the people listening, the reason why I asked this question as a baseline is there's going to be peripheral questions around this strategy that is super important to the potential feedback and the direction of the feedback that we go. So I start with this to create a level set, and there's a couple other level setting conversation questions I'll have, and then we'll start getting into the details from there. All right. So the, the number one strategy is actually a breakout setup. I look for key support resistances that hold over multiple sessions. Uh, I also look for icebergs, that, those levels that increase my conviction. Um, I also look at the like 30 second open range breakout trades as well. Uh, so I typically use a two to one RR risk reward. Um, I've tightened up the breakout ones a little bit more than I was doing before because they tend to uh, head fake quite a bit. But that is the, the bread and butter of my strategies right now. The other things that I do is that I look at uh, rebid reoffers. So I look for really strong candles that initiate a move higher or lower, uh, minimum on the 10 tick charts. Uh, then I watch when price re-enters that area where the, uh, the move initiated for, and I look for DOM activity for aggressive buying, selling activity to confirm those trades. Uh, and then I also have a pullback setup uh, using the levels that I chart in the mornings. Again, uh, when I see price re-enter my zones, I look for the uh, execution tools to fire, preferably two, uh, exhaustion absorption detector, liquidity zones, or dominator. Uh, enter that with a two-to-one risk reward with a three-point stop. Uh, and then uh, take profit one is going to be a two, two R, and take profit two is going to be the entry to the next zone. My stops move to break even typically once TP1 has been hit. And I try to limit my runners uh, to maintain or to only trade with runners when there's um, when it's in the same direction as the general market structure of the day. So if it's bullish action, I get a, the conditions for a fade. Uh, I'm taking those profits quicker than I would if it was a bullish continuation. Got it. What uh, what time frames? Uh, again, I don't need for each necessarily, but what time frames in general are you trading? Uh, my main execution chart is going to be on a 10 tick uh, rotation chart. I have a 20 tick uh, in the corner that I use for uh, like a more of a bit a broader overview of what's going on. Uh, I have a footprint chart that uses 12 tick that shows me a positive negative delta. And then I have a what it's called the reconstructed tape. 
that shows me basically just a visual of the DOM activity so I can see large orders. I can see the orders that are actively marketing in and the size of them, like visually, it's it's a visual thing. So you see the size of the bubble change of like more people right. are buying with larger size. Got it. And so on average, what's the duration that you are in a trade? Um, that is a good question, but it's typically minutes. Uh, on the on the breakout trades, those are, uh, I mean, pretty much like probably less than a minute. And then how many trades do we do in a day? Uh, when I'm trading well, it's probably five at most. Uh, when I'm trading poorly, then it's more than that. And when you say more than that, um, what would you estimate to the high side? Um, like eight, nine. If I'm taking that many trades, then I'm over trading typically. I think five is probably on the high end too. Like if I'm trading well, like usually I get my points within like three or four trades and then I'm just done. So do you have like a daily profit target that you're shooting for? Uh, my goal is to make um, about 10 points a day on average, uh, but I'm not really like, I'm not really strictly following that. Like I don't want to okay. stop because because I hit a goal and I also don't want that goal to like make me like if I'm sitting at 11 points, I don't want to be afraid to take another trade because I don't want to risk, you know, missing my my goal. If I get this, if I get the setups and I'm feeling good and my psychology is still good, I'm still feeling fresh. I'm looking at everything like with an open and like, uh, what's the word for that? Like, like if I'm feeling like in the zone, like in the good trading spot, then I want to keep going. Okay. Like it's more to me, it's more about the mental headspace of where I'm at. Like if I'm feeling overconfident or if I'm feeling shitty, then it's time to close up regardless of where I'm at PL wise. I'm just taking a couple notes. Yep. Okay. Um, and then what obviously the the overall breakdown of these strategies was negatively expectant if we um ran into a blowout scenario. But well, that's only if you're following the strategies when you're blowing out. So which leads me to my next question. What was the expected return of the strategies and how often did you calculate it? Um, hang on, let me get the right chart open here. Cause I did a new one there. Uh, hold please. Do you have elevator music or uh, no, I don't. It's bullshit. So again, while, while we're, while you're looking that up, the, what I'm doing, everybody is I'm first gaining an understanding. Um, it is completely useless for me to get a couple small bits of information and then immediately start brain dumping everything that I, every potential hole I could poke in it. That's not the point here whatsoever. What I'm doing as the listener to his approach is I just want to gain an understanding. This is actually very, very different than just about everything I do. So from like a technical standpoint, there's small things that I intend to talk to him about. Um, but this is actually much less about the strategies, in my opinion, which we'll get into in a little bit. But just so everybody understands like why I'm using these baselining questions, I am just first seeking to understand. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay. So uh, win percentage uh, is about 41%, expectancy 1.48, profit factor 1.4. Okay, so hold on. So the win rate was 40... 41%. 41%. And what was your average win? Uh, average win is 12.79 points. And are you... What are you trading for the... for the, Just so I know the dollar value of it. Uh, a point on ES minis is $50. The mini? On the micros is 5 And I've been trading the micros recently, trying to uh, basically build up this data. Okay, so then 
the and you said it was 12 points uh average of 12.79 average loss of 6.46 those are the e-minis and then six eight six so that is not seeing any sort of significant red flags i love that um so the next thing before we get into the broader concepts just so i can further understand the strategy just a little bit more mm -hmm. How do you manage losing trades? Because based on what I'm seeing here, if we're following a two to one risk to reward and we have that general expected return, I don't see where the blowout happened. <laughs> so I want to well, understand maybe that Maybe we part. should go back and then kind of explain what happened there. That was a scenario where I just, I just went on tilt basically and just started entering wherever i felt like it whenever i felt like it as often as i felt like it okay so there was like completely just threw everything out the window and then just started clicking everywhere on the dom okay got it so there was just a departure from the strategy complete departure and i assume how how long did that departure from the strategy last was it a single day was it multiple days it was well let me go back and look at i think there were warning signs leading up into it uh, like that week, I found myself like digging out of holes, um, like early in the session, which technically shouldn't uh, not big holes, but like, you know, just starting off with like a couple losses and then like getting one big win. Like, it just, it's something felt off the whole time. Okay. Uh, and that would, I would say was probably like maybe two or three trading days before. Like I felt like something was not right. Okay. I think I even took a day off at one point. Um, because I didn't feel, let me look at my other journal notes here and see which day that was. So the blow up was on the 18th. I skipped, what day did I skip? I know I skipped one in here. Maybe I didn't. I thought I did skip a day. I actually thought here. you said you did too when I read the article. Yeah, I swear there was. I might not have wrote it down right. Yeah, but I, I think that's okay anyways. Regardless, but if I'm looking at the number of trades I was taking, the two days prior was 10 trades. And then the day, the day before the blow up was nine trades. Before that, the week before that, I had one, five, four, and three. Got it. And so to be honest, as I'm listening to this, I, I actually think the, the number of trades really doesn't matter here with that ER. I think mm -hmm. what we'll have to discuss, obviously, is the, which you already alluded to, but the, the setup on the trade, right? Because if I were mm -hmm. if I were in your shoes with that kind of expected return, I would try to cram as many possible trades as I possibly could. I, I wouldn't want just a few. I would want as many as I possibly could to run those numbers. Um, I think my problem, though, with that is the more trades I take, the less disciplined I become. Which that leads into a whole other conversation that I definitely want to get into. A couple other just preliminary questions. The first one is, and you don't have to go super far into detail if you're uncomfortable. Um, but like, what is the general portfolio size we're trading? Uh, it wasn't much. I mean, I think there was maybe 1400 in that account. Okay. Got it. And how much of that 1400 or whatever it was, how much of that are we using at a given point in time? Uh, size wise, I'm typically putting on, uh, four lots at most, uh, sometimes up to six if my conviction is like really strong. Well, so six points with the two and a half point stop, uh, would be... Uh, 15 points times five, so $75. That's on the high end. I mean, most of my trades are four lots or two lots. Got it. So uh, an average loss would be between like 25 and $30. And how do you determine the position sizing? Because you said that sometimes it's four, five, two. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it depends on my conviction, I would say. And then sometimes like I'll start with the two lot, like on the OR just to like kind of get my feet wet and like okay. get a feel for it. 
like a, a smaller trade with less risk, but it's more automatic. Uh, and then I can kind of like get, you know, like the accustomed to the feelings of trading okay. again. And then how do you measure the concept of conviction? You said that that's essentially what determines the bet size. Um, for the majority of, uh, like the only one that really, I guess that really applies to is my breakout strategy. Uh, like I try to stick with two lots unless I see like all of the items that line up for like what makes that a better trade, like the A plus okay. version of that trade, key supports, uh, liquidity zones, icebergs, like those things will add, lead me to, to throw another okay. entry on and there. Do you have like a checklist or something that you fill out as those conditions are met? Uh, I do it more after the fact now. Um, but I can share the link here of, let me give you the new one. The new one has uh, some more stuff of the things that I'm developing now. But too. then previously leading into the blow up, it wasn't as quantitative of a process. Uh, no, there was just other things that I added that I wanted to start tracking. So as I was resetting, like I was developing another setup that I'm like really finding some good progress in okay. and enjoying. Uh, on top of my breakout strategies. And just a couple final level setting goals. Um, what's the return objective that you have for this portfolio? You mean like a percentage you... increase? I mean, my my goal is to eventually be able to uh, earn uh, an average of 10 points a day. Okay. So the first round of feedback from me to you as I kind of gather some of the details here Um I think you're mm -hmm. really well organized. And by the way, this is not like the very stereotypical like sandwich compliments and insults. Like I don't fucking care about that. I'm literally just going <laughs> in order of my thoughts. So if I have something good to say, I'm going to share yep. the good thing. It's there's no particular order here, but I, yeah, I, I appreciate yeah, that. Dude, I, I hate that sandwich, the negative, like get, no man, get some fucking thick skin and take some feedback. But <laughs> I do think that you're organized, which, which is really, really useful. I think one of the things that we need to acknowledge is the kind of trading that you you're trying to do with this account it is literally the hardest style of trading that exists i would argue beyond forex so i mm -hmm. yeah really forex even yeah well i think forex is probably a bit trickier than this is what i meant by that statement but i don't think this is far mm -hmm. off from that and the one of the things i'm curious about is for this portfolio it sounds like all of the strategies are intraday, like minutes to hours kind of trades. Is that accurate? Uh, hours, no. Minutes, yes. Okay. So is there a reason why you don't integrate some longer term strategies in here? Uh, well, if it's with futures, I mean, I don't think I want to be holding anything for too long. I've, I, I think my psyche has trouble with seeing um, like the like open profit disappear on you. So like holding like all day, like letting a runner go into close. Like, I don't, I don't think that I could handle that mentally watching, you know, something that was up a hundred points, just give back 60 of it. Now, while I understand that at face value, I believe what you're sharing is like a very emotional response. Mm -hmm. What if, what if the strategy, even though it might have that kind of reversal intraday, what if that strategy was twice as expectant as your existing strategy? I don't know that it would be for me. Well, I, I'm just saying it, this is just a hypothetical. I'm not saying that the strategy would be. No, 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 no. I, what I'm saying is I don't know that I could execute that strategy with my mentality. Right. Okay. So, and I, I think that that's the answer I'm looking for because one of the things, and I actually love that you bring this into the conversation is I do think it's ultra important for us to identify our individual tendencies and mm -hmm. to try to create to create styles that mesh with our tendencies. 
Now, the one thing, especially after reading your article and then listening to you talk about um, like one of the main precursors I got is, you know, like mental state as a driver of your activity level. Mm -hmm. And reading through your article, I saw a lot of emotional and mental state stuff in there. When I look at stuff like that, and then you combine that with a highly volatile short time frame, I actually would argue to you that I'm not positive that that's the best fit. And again, Mm -hmm. I want to couch all of this with, this is just my opinion. So it still might be the right fit for you. It might need some tweaks. But when I think about any successful super short-term traders that I know of, they they are like literally the most robotic people that I know. So (laughs) I, I think that what you might be starting to experience is a natural inclination or preference towards this style of trading. But based on a lot of the um, the mental game that you shared behind it, I'm actually not positive that it's the best possible arrangement, at least as of right now. That's not to mm-hmm. say it couldn't be. But well, I here's, think, here's the thing. I think yeah, people would describe me as more robotic than uh, uh, normally. I think I think a lot of what happened with this was that like bottling up so much stress uh, and not having an outlet for that, like just led this to be the outlet. And the reason why I, I, I maintain that I, that's what I think happened or the reason why I believe that's the case is because of how good it felt to just buck all the discipline, throw all the rules out the window and just just click the button. It felt so good. Which, again, see Exhibit A on why I think that might be exactly the point of the antithesis here. Right. Okay. Okay. Because I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Again, when I when I read that that line, it was towards the end of your article. I was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, like, this kind of makes sense to me. So again, that's a, I just want to be super clear. That's not to suggest that this couldn't work for you. Right. But I, I think as an underpinning, it might not actually be the best structural fit, even though you might be naturally drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Because most traders that I know, at least new traders, and myself included when I was first starting out, I was super drawn to short-term stuff because like one of your examples that you mentioned again, which to me felt more of an emotional response, which was, you know, uh, if you have a trade up, that's up a hundred points or whatever, and to watch it give back 60, that's like painful. And what I'm thinking is there's a very easy pragmatic solution to that. We can either use stops on it or we can hedge the position. Right. When a trader tells me, and I'm not, you didn't say this, but it's just another common thread here. A lot of traders that I talk to that want to be day traders, they say, well, I don't want to hold overnight. That's where all the risk is. And first of all, and again, to be clear, you didn't say this, but the to answer that for a lot of people out there, if you actually look at the moves that occur, it very rarely happens overnight. Mm-hmm. But more importantly than that, you can hedge overnight risk, especially if you're trading something like the micros, VIX futures are there. They work great. Hmm. So. Like we can offset risk very easily. Even today, when I was going through a bunch of different trades, I was trading shorter term SPX options. And I started off with a base trade. And throughout the day, as it morphed, I just made a series of adjustments. And at Mm -hmm. one point, it would have been a notable loser, but I ended up walking out on the day up pretty big. Mm -hmm. And it was from just managing the risk throughout the day very dynamically. So I just bring that all into play that I wouldn't necessarily just think long, you know, long-term trades, you got to just watch it, do whatever it does. 
it's not actually the case. Right, right. And but my yeah. problem, I think I have an issue with um, like adjusting my stops. Like I'm not good at trailing stops, and that's something that I need to work on. But for right now, that's not something I'm good at. I usually end up getting stopped out right where I should be adding to a position. Right. If that makes any and, sense. So for me, like it works better to have a, a TP2 that's at a reasonable level to hit my stop, go to break even, and then I just let the bracket do what it's going to do. Right. Yeah. And and I actually think that that like that specific part of the strategy could be fine. Mm-hmm. I think more importantly than that, though, is just even, you know, what you just mentioned there, that you're not necessarily the greatest at adjusting your stops. Like I just see a lot of very small things that I think would make focusing on short term time frames increasingly difficult. Mm hmm. So this isn't to push you into other time frames, although it kind of is, because I do think it would be good even if you paper traded some different time frames to yeah. see how it goes to compare against. No, I think um, that's definitely uh, something I may take a look at here. I'm making notes myself. Yeah, because the, the other thing that I heard that I do think is kind of interesting is if you want to make 10 points a day and we're trading the the minis, which are... Um, $5 a contract, so micros, $50 a day. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, the, the micros. So if we're trading, we want to make $50 a day on a $1,400 account. So essentially, we want to make, what, 3.5% a day? Uh, I'll, I'll trust your math. <laughs> I wouldn't trust my math. Hold on, let me, let me actually do the math. I'm, I'm the, I don't want to trust my math. So 10 points a day times $5 is 50 bucks. 50 bucks divided by... That's 3.5. That's pretty good. Oh, there we go. Yeah, right on the money. 3.6. I was off. But yeah, so you see what I mean? So even if we're doing 3.6% return on an account a day, do you see where that gets you throughout the year? And do you know, like, have you heard of how many people are consistently doing that? Uh, I know the number is very small. Very, very small. I mean, Mm -hmm. even some of the best traders, if you look at the U.S. Investing Championship, um, they're fortunate to walk out at 300% return on the year. Mm-hmm. Right. And you essentially are looking to straight up blow those dudes out of the water. You want like a 900% return. Well, it's like, well, how, however we treat compounding, but yeah. I, I mean, obviously, that's, uh, I, I think, yeah. Okay. So I, I, the reason why I bring it up again, it's because you also said average, right? So, yes. We we expect some give and take, but again, the the average still. That's the but 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 that's the uh, ultimate goal, I guess, is what I should try to say. Like that's what I'm trying to hit, but not necessarily with that size of account size. Which leads to two other things, but staying on the first point, nonetheless, whether that's the eventual goal or not, right? Mm-hmm. If if we're essentially pursuing the ability to return four hundred at least percent per year, we're. I actually don't even know anybody who does that, to be completely honest with you. So that's just because I don't know they exist doesn't mean they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I've been doing this for a while and I know a shit ton of traders. And it's it's not that somebody can't have a fantastic year, but to do that uh, you know, consistently is a whole other ballgame. So I just, again, I, I wouldn't say that to dissuade your goal, but... I think especially when small accounts attempt to chase audacious goals like that, they set themselves up for a lot of stress coming from an emotional side. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to like actually get those kinds of returns. You know what I mean? Well, to be fully honest with you, uh, I actually removed that portion of 
like the the hard number goal from most of my stuff after a conversation with Rich Friesen when we were actually discussing um discussing something similar. Oh, okay. Uh and that was more because it should be like with my daily affirmation, like I took the deterministic outcomes out and then I ended up replacing it with like executing a successful strategy. That's that's what I uh, am focusing on is trying to execute a successful strategy. So how do we define success for this strategy? Uh, besides just positive expectation? Mm-hmm. How else do you define it? So for me, what I used to chase was at least 15% per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've since adjusted down just because I'm at a different point with my portfolio. I'm not really seeking aggressive growth anymore. So now I'm looking between 10 and 12% per year. Mm-hmm. So for me, as long as at the end of the year, I look at my account and that's where I'm at, then I either had a successful year or I did not have a successful year. Gotcha. Hmm. But the reason why I ask is because I think I'm a really big fan of Stephen Covey and the seven habits of highly successful people. And one of my like favorite parts in there is when he talks about begin with the end in mind. And I think framing what we're doing against what our ultimate goal is, is super important because otherwise we meander. Right. Now there's just like everything else in trading, right? It's a balancing act because if you're so strict and you give yourself no leeway, then all of a sudden you're taking a bunch of shitty trades that you shouldn't take, taking too much risk, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that is like the biggest bitch when it comes to trading is we literally cannot be one thing or the other at just about anything. We have to be able to balance so many things simultaneously if we want to be successful. And I do think that that's one of them though, is understanding what it is we're even attempting to achieve, quantify it, and then kind of reverse engineer from there. Gotcha. Uh, Let me make notes of that. So I got unrealistic expectations quantify my goals in the way that I go about like quantifying my goals personally is again, I gave you those, um, the percent returns and for from 2007 until 2021, the last full trading year, I had a 22.8% CAGR compound annual growth rate. Mm -hmm. So what that shows is that I exceed goals pretty regularly. So one of the mental games that I played with myself is by setting a, it was still a perfect goal for me because I did, did the math. I, like, that's how I figured it all out. I said, okay, this is my account size. This is my savings rate. I want to have X number of dollars by the time I'm X years old and just did the math. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I never adjusted my return percentage up, right? Because you could have argued, well, why didn't you go for 25 if you were doing that? And I probably could have. But for me, I was prioritizing consistency. And by having a goal that I knew would get me to my ultimate objective, but it wasn't artificially inflated just because I probably could do better, I didn't feel just about any stress throughout the year. It was especially like once I got my feet under me, once I was trading for like seven or eight years and I had a known good, meaning I could look back at my performance, I wasn't really stressed. So I offer that to you as when you're thinking about the ultimate goal for your account, I think defining what you want it to look like, not just from trading alone, but with savings and stuff like that, it can be really useful Okay, for us to kind of create that benchmark. All right. Um, uh, you mentioned that you want to talk about risk management. Did we already cover that? 
we touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to hit on it from a zoomed out perspective on the portfolio level. Yes. Um, and, and I actually saw one of your community members mention it, and I love that they did, which was this concept of like a circuit breaker. Yes. Especially for people who try to trade super, super short term. I think that having ultimate portfolio level risk metrics in place is it is a it is a must. Yes. So one of the questions I wanted to ask is so if your portfolio was around that $1500 mark, once it was down at $800, what led to you continuing to trade at that point? Uh I mean I just didn't care at that point. Got it. So it was just roll the dice. Yeah, I Part of the problem with, uh, like, I think I wrote in there in that article about like what led, like I always had like a ballpark, like, okay, three trades, you know, three full stops. And then like, let's take a break, pause, come back. If I take another two trades and they're losers, then that's it for the day. But uh, I I had introduced uh, something new to my trading in the last couple of days that I think kind of threw out like those mental numbers that I kind of keep track of. And then once something new like was able to creep into the uh, my my trading that wasn't like you know fully developed, it just allowed everything else to kind of just degrade from there. Okay. But not having like that's one thing that could have saved me is if I would have had a hard stop, uh, um, like close out the account locks up and is not you can't open it until tomorrow. Like you have the option to do that on Sierra charts, and uh, that is something that I plan on having you know from now on going forward. Drawdown limits. I don't think you should. No? I don't. I, I'm afraid of having it relying on me because I've just proven, I think, that I can't be trusted to follow those rules. I, I agree and I admire just the self-realization, but I think if you require an account essentially to hold your hand and control your risk for you, it's not like there, there's no path to success in that, in my opinion. I think the way that I would view it is exactly what you just said, right? That you clearly knew what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And when things weren't going, you know, just everybody's a plan until they get punched in the mouth. My boy, Mike Tyson with his lisp, spitting them facts. <laughs> and I think the thing is you've identified the problem, at least in that scenario. Mm-hmm. I would with the utmost level of your being commit to doing what you know needs to happen and not relying on a system infrastructure to make the decision for you. I might put one in just to have it, but uh, put my actual like stops like uh, circuit breakers, the ones that I intend to follow as being less restrictive than the, this is to protect the account. Like if my daily drawdown limit is $150, we'll say just throwing a number out there, that's probably not what I'd use. But uh, if I hit like 300, then the account locks. I see what you mean. Yeah. And I mean, if you feel like you need that, then, you know, obviously whatever you think is best, what I would offer to you again is essentially you're mentally allowing yourself to not take responsibility then. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I see where you're coming from. Uh, my my thought is that if, like, I would rather just have something else in the background, you know, just in case, kind of thing. Of course. Yep. No, I I get that. And, and if I can't if I can't follow the other rules, like I might as well save <laughs> save some <laughs> some capital. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Which this kind of goes back to my other thought, which I I, I like I genuinely think 
by trying different time frames, you might start to see slightly different results. And the, the reason why I bring this one up is I did. Like that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened to me is I was trying to trade a lot of short-term stuff. And as soon as I started trading longer time frames, I started finding more success. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, again, like whatever you think you need to do, I think it, you know, as long as you acknowledge the series of you know implications that go with it, um, then all, all good. It could be a useful tool. I personally think that we as the trader need to take and de deploy everything completely under our own volition because we are the ones that are going to be making those decisions mm -hmm. and we got to build that muscle. It's just like any other decision cycle or habit that we want to build. The way to build those habits is by to establishing it, right? Yes. No, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. And I agree that the, the onus should be on me to follow risk management. If I can't follow risk management, then that's a problem. Yeah. But, and I mean, I also understand your point and I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, especially if you're trying to like reestablish trust in yourself, yes. right? Yes. I think that that's fine to do, but the way that I would view it is like, I would set up immense pain for myself as a human being if I needed to rely on the system. Yeah. That, that's, that was my thought exactly too. Like if I hit one of those, then this is like, I'll stop. Then don't trade for a year. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yep. I, I love that. And I think it's a good way again, because I do agree with you. Like the fact that sometimes man, like when things are going weird, you know, we go mm -hmm. fucking rogue, you know? And I actually think it's really, really admirable of you to have even identified that most people explain it away. Most people say, Oh, well, you know, this anomaly happened or the market was weird or, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So easy to blame other shit. So I actually give you a lot of credit for that internal locus of control, which I love, which I wanted to touch on that a little bit real quick. We were talking about outlets before we started recording. And in your write-up, I was actually really surprised, especially again, for a day trader to see just how much emotion there is. And mm -hmm. I would love to understand that a little bit more because again, like from my just more stereotypical analysis of this stuff, I see emotion. And to me, that is not equal good fit for short-term high volatile, high stressful trading. Mm -hmm. So what you talked about all of these external factors, right? One of the things I think about is if we have effective discipline and effective controls over our portfolio, the external factors are now moot. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. How we feel, um, w whether we're tired, like none of that comes into play specifically as it pertains to managing risk. Mm -hmm. So, I'm curious when I was looking through your, your path forward, you know, the very first thing you were talking about was this purge. And I, I personally don't totally follow those protocols. I, I can see how that might be useful for, for somebody, but the more important thing is I'm curious, like why isn't number one to establish risk control? Uh, huh. Interesting. Uh, to me, I thought, or I was on the path that to me that the, the stress and emotions was the, that was what failed me. Mm. Um, I mean, I have been working really hard at this for the last like three months, um, developing and testing these strategies. I had good history over that period, uh, as we talked about earlier. This is what had changed. 
So that was where I thought my failing was. But you bring up a great point that there was no risk management controls as far as like points to stop and just call it a day. At no point did I say to myself, I am not in the right mindset. I should not be putting this capital at risk. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to identify to myself is putting things in place that I can say, hey, I am not in the right headspace. I this I am not in the right mental mental state to be putting, you know, capital at risk at this point. Right. I agree with you. And I think in my opinion, this is an important differentiation because I think what you shared to me is a is a subset of that risk control concept, right? Because I think mm -hmm. The way that I view it, and especially when I was kind of trying to aggressively grow my portfolio, especially in like my mid twenties, there were there there were like plenty of points where I was levered. So I had more risk out than my portfolio could could literally withhold. Right. If things moved against me in a big enough way, and the way that I successfully navigate those environments, because if you think all of those trades just happily went in my favor and it was <laughs> you know happy go lucky. Uh, that sounds sick. I'd love to meet that scenario, but oh, no. that's not what happened to me. And I think what I was always able to hang my hat on is I set specific numbers that literally, no matter what, if a position, depending on the strategy, hit a specific threshold, or if the portfolio at large hit a specific threshold, it was hands off. Period. Mm -hmm. There was no discussion. There was no thought. Like literally there was one point where I hit that threshold in my, um, in an individual strategy that I was deploying and no shit for a split second. I was like, oh man, but it looks like it's gonna. And then literally as I was having that internal monologue, I straight up hit flatten now and I was out. That was it, man. And what I was focusing more than anything is regardless of any other circumstance that exists in trading, we cannot trade if we don't have capital. It can't happen. Yeah. So preservation of capital is of the utmost priority. And for me, that was a really, really useful series of protocols to implement, both mm -hmm. for specific strategies and then for the portfolio at large. Because then I knew I built in a backstop that I could then rely on. So then it wasn't as big of a deal if I saw trades going up, going down. As long as I stayed within that backstop, which mathematically aligned with my overall portfolio objectives, mm -hmm. it was a little easier for me to, to deploy without as much emotional input because I might sound like I'm not super emotional when I'm trading. I try not to be, but it ha wasn't always like that. Like I literally remember what, like for two months, I wore a fucking heart rate monitor so that I could <laughs> tell like what, what I was doing straight up. Yeah, And that's when I realized one of the points where I was straight up lying to myself. I was like, oh man, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be a fucking Marine officer. I'm a robot. Ain't nothing fucking. And then sure shit, my heart rate, dude, it looked out of this world at yep. different points in specific trades. And I was just like, wow, like I am straight up fucking deceiving myself. So I think the super long winded circuitous thought process I just went through there. I was hoping to add some details around it because and share some of my experiences because I do not want this to sound like I'm just, you know, digging into your stuff. I was there too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think by establishing firm protocols for risk management and always treating that as number one, it made my life easier because 
our emotional condition changes every single day. Ideally, not too much. Hopefully, it's typically pretty positive, but it's a huge variable that takes a lifetime to learn to control. Risk control as a metric takes zero effort once it's established. It's there. That is excellent. I love that feedback. I'm updating the article right now to, to move the trading plan with hard stops and loss limits to number one. Mm, yeah, love that. Because I agree with you, like the mental state is important, which I wanted to make sure we had a little time to talk about. Mm -hmm. So we, before I went on that ramble, we were talking about like outlets and stuff. And I think you said that you wanted to have a dialogue about that, but I, I'd love to hear. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts behind that and just get a baseline on um, the way you handle emotions around trading. Well, um well, the first thing I do when I start my day is I try to start with a set score. Uh, that's something that uh, is part of Rich Reason's program. Um, we're doing a mini series with him, uh, uh, focusing specifically on trading psychology. So that's kind of like my benchmark of how I'm feeling to start the day. Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, the worksheet will flag you like if the, your your metrics are, are out of tolerance or, or in a warning zone or in a danger zone. Uh, so I kind of use that for my benchmark now. It, it looks at your, you know, like, what kind of physical sensations are you feeling? Are you tired? Are you sad? Are you bouncing with energy? Jesus. How are your emotions? Like, how are you feeling just emotionally? And then what sort of thoughts are, like, bouncing around inside your head? So I, I, I measure that. I use that as a metric to start my day. And then what I just implemented this week is I do what is called, I'm calling a mental purge, where... All of those thoughts that are bouncing around in my head, all those things that I'm worrying about. Oh, I got to get this episode edited. Oh, I've got bills that are you know coming due tomorrow. Uh, I've got uh, this you know disagreement with my wife that uh, I'm trying to work through. Like, get it all out, put it down on you know out of your head, write it down, and then I reassess the that the set scores again to see what sort of effect that had on it. And I actually do feel a lot better when just doing that. Like, it's something simple, but man, it feels. It makes a difference. That's awesome. That's how I start my day. I want to just touch on that super quick because like yeah. what you what you just shared, I literally never do that. And this is the beauty of two different people though, right? Like that process can be ultra beneficial for you. And I literally love that. Mm -hmm. So like when we're having these dialogues with, again, for the people listening, when we have these dialogues with other traders, it's important for us to be able to like differentiate something that may or may not be useful or may or may not be something that we do ourselves with like the ultimate objective. Because again, like it's not something I do, but I could see based on our conversation, how that could be incredibly valuable for you. And I literally love it for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about finding stuff that works for you. Uh, that's why... That's why understanding, I think, yourself is so important if you want to be a you know a trader long term. Yes, I, I agree with that, and I think the other thing to to tie into that is beyond again like the, the emotional side of things, which again I, I do have to reiterate. I think there's a lot of emotional stuff going on for a day trader. I think that's a real tough lifestyle. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I I think you know if those are effective outlets for you, then I think as long as you can, again, quantify based on the journaling and the, the logging that you're doing, that it's having a positive effect, right? Like if you can clearly attach that score with your trading performance and track mm -hmm. that like month over month, I think that that could be a really, really useful tool. One other question I have for you is, so the plan forward, are you 
expecting like are you paper trading now or what's the plan to actually yes i am paper trading now got it uh right now i'm trying to just generate enough history take enough trades to show that i still have positive expectancy that my strategies are still working i do have another strategy that i'm working on developing but yeah until all of these items get checked off uh you know developing this habit of measuring my mental state in the mornings and doing the journaling the um, weekly trade review that we're trying to get started hopefully will be taking place this weekend like i want to get all those things in place before i come back and start trading live capital again yeah uh, i'm sorry number one which we should, god damn i just named <laughs> number two and four but skip number one which is update my trading plan with hard stops and loss limits and consequences for breaking them mm. all of those items need to be checked off before i can go back to trading live capital got it is there something that you think uh, should be added to any of this Dude, this shit is way over my fucking head. This is so far outside of what I normally do. So I would never, um, I, I don't think I have like great input here. I do mm -hmm. think in terms of coming back to live trading though, just speaking of specific protocols and thresholds and whatnot, I think um, while you're paper trading, I would have a zero tolerance policy for any breach of your risk metrics i think that is a fantastic idea um part of what the like setting these goals for myself was to try to enforce the discipline to make sure that things get done before i come back so it was all about building discipline but it makes perfect sense to make sure that those hard stops and loss limits even if it's sim are still being followed to the letter yeah because to me like that's number one still always and perpetually right yeah. like and I think that keeping our eye on the prize and making sure that we maintain that disposition is just, it, it's second to none. It cannot, it cannot be any other way if we mm -hmm. want to be successful in this long term, because we could have, again, like fantastic scorecards, we could have everything good, but then who knows, right? Like we get introduced, reintroduced to different versions of ourselves in different circumstances and some versions we haven't seen yet. Yep. So I think the thing that I just continually rely on myself is exactly that. Just it's like monk like adherence to that, because <laughs> I think I think without that, um, just the propensity for people to blow up is very high. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of traders do. Well, I think I just showed how quickly you know, three months of hard work can just be wiped out in a day without those things in place, which is fair too. Yeah, because I mean, the other thing is, and I, and I know that you did a lot of homework on this stuff, but again, you know, and it's what we talked about kind of earlier is it's easy for us, not easy, but we could put in a lot of work and mm -hmm. that, that doesn't grant us anything, right? As you've obviously found out, because I think that there's a dangerous thing that happens where we kind of start to not saying this happened with you, but again, just a general statement that we start to believe our own funk, so to speak. Yes, And I see this with people who try to predict market direction. Mm -hmm. It's actually funny. There's been multiple times this year where straight up, like I thought something would happen. I wrote it down and what I thought happened, happened to a fucking T. And I immediately, I look at that thought and I say, wow, that's kind of cool. Historic pattern led me to believe this. This is the probability of thing that happened. But I always go back to that kind of thought and I say, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. I had no fucking idea if that was going to happen. I simply thought with a higher probability that that was going to occur versus something else. Yes. So I try to very, very much guard against 
my myself, just like you've kind of talked about. Well, there's there's two sides to, to the confidence. There's the loss of confidence where you don't believe in anything you do, but then there's the overconfident trader. And then that leads to just as many issues where you start to feel like you can't do anything wrong. If, yeah, if not more. Yes. I think the people that I see have the the most issues are definitely in that category where, yeah, they just kind of, they feel like they know everything that's going to happen. So a couple other things real quick. I don't want to take too much of your time. Yeah, this is going to be fun to edit. Yeah. <laughs> a couple other things real quick for you, though. Yep. I do think by clear, because you have fantastic trade tracking, which I love. Thank you. I would absolutely love it if you explored some longer term strategies. A very simple one could be covered calls on stocks that you like or a stock that's above its nine day moving average or its 50 day move. It's like keep you can keep it super simple. If it's something that you don't necessarily want to dedicate a ton of time figuring out, you know, how to do it. But I think if nothing else, what you will do is decrease the overall volatility in your account, which would be very worthwhile. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you start to build in an inherent backstop because if you have a $1,400 account, $1,500 account, whatever it is, but you're already using $1,000 of it, there's nothing you could do. You, you literally especially if it's, you know, you bought and held the S&P 500 spy or another index ETF, you like literally just backstopped yourself artificially because if you want to use it, well, this is my futures account, I should say. Right, right, right. right. Um, but I think because this leads actually beautifully into my, my next point where I think I've heard a lot of people have differing opinions on the concept of splitting an account, having different accounts to do different things. Personally, I'm not a fan of that. But again, if it works for somebody, it works for somebody. I think. Well, I mean, I don't really have a choice uh, in order to trade futures. It has to be funds have to be at the broker. Right. Well, I guess for me, like I have, I have my margin account, which all of my yep. margin trading is done in there. And then I have my retirement accounts. Yeah. So in my margin account, if I'm trading, I like to split it up by allocations of my portfolio as compared to having different accounts set up. So like I'll, I'll have my core allocations and then I'll have my speculative allocations. And I'm very strict, like we were talking about before, on how much of my portfolio I allow myself to use for the core versus speculative based on different market conditions, which are quantified. And mm -hmm. I also have general different risk control metrics for core versus speculative style trades, meaning my core trades, I tend to give them a little more room to move because over time I've developed strategies there that give me more maneuverability in general. For the speculative side, I am at a point where I am, the way I think about it is core, I'm kind of hitting base hits and I want to hit base hits continually. The speculative is when I'm looking for the double or the home run if I'm lucky, but I refuse to allow the risk on that side of the portfolio to negatively impact the broader portfolio. So. The reason why I bring that up is it just over time has instituted an additional layer of discipline. And I think that this is how I've become such a disciplined trader is because I give myself like I could not do that, right? Like I could just trade whatever the fuck I want whenever I want. And it's only me versus me. So who would know? But over time, I've created this relationship with myself where it's, it's not a question. And it's because I simply refuse to allow myself to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think by integrating those kind of interactions in as many small places as we can helps us build that habit. I like that. 
building habits sometimes can seem daunting, but if you start with the small things and don't accept excuses or, or leeway or, you know, you don't allow yourself wiggle room, like moving stops is something that I've always been very strongly against doing, uh, like mm. increasing risk. I don't mind bringing them, you know, closer to break even, but taking them away from break even, uh, that is something that in futures trading, I will not do. I love that. Like little things like that, though, help build that discipline on the broader sense. I literally think that that's like perfect. I love that. Well, thank you. Uh, Eric, I really do want to thank you for taking the time to do this. I know that you're a, a busy guy and sometimes these discussions aren't fun, but I really feel like we had a great one today. Uh, I'm really thankful for the advice and the the feedback you gave uh, for taking the time to read through all this stuff and ask the questions you did uh, and just amazing stuff. I'm I'm really stoked that you were willing to be able to even record this kind of dialogue to to share with people. And I think that specifically um, your audience should really take that in jest. And I'm sorry, and ingest it because mm -hmm. I think what you're doing is sharing one of the most vulnerable part of trading and you're making it available to other people. And I love that. I, I've done a couple of videos on some of the biggest losses I had. So I had one scenario where I had a massive, like 60% drawdown on my account on one trade overnight. And it wasn't overnight um, that it happened. It was the next day, but I put the trade on the day before. Anyways, that was an awful process. Like I didn't like that doing that. I don't like that video because I look at it and I'm like, how fucking stupid was I? There's that side of it where you just feel like, ah, oh, it's embarrassing that I allowed myself to slip like that. But then it's also kind of exciting too, to think about like how you're going to take this moment and, and improve from it. Dude, I, and I, and I can see that mindset through you this entire time. And I'm sure you're a practicer or at least a partial practitioner of stoicism because you have a lot of stoic tenants as I can see. And to me, that is exactly the correct mindset is the scenario occurred. It is what it is. We can choose how we decide to react and obviously try to gain whatever value we can from it. And I think the main thing I view when I look at your stuff going forward, it seems like the nuts and bolts are there. I think risk control mm -hmm. first and foremost I think working out that emotional side, honestly, I'm less useful to that. Not to say I'm not emotional. I just have a different process. <laughs> well, you're a Marine. But I, I think that you have all of the tools to be successful at this. And I say that sincerely. I wouldn't say it otherwise. I can't tell you how many people I've told them, not that my opinion matters that much, but I have been very honest that like, hey, dude, like, I don't fucking think this is for you. And again, it comes from a place of agape love because I want to see my friends succeed. So I, I do think you have the toolkit, man. I'm, I'm stoked to see you grow from this. And thank you so much for sharing the experience with people. It is profound. It's profound to share that. Thank you so much, Eric. I really do appreciate your, your feedback, man. And to hear you say that at the end there is really, really makes me excited for the future. Um, I, I, I'm happy that it went that way because if it would have went the other way, that might have been a very awkward ending to this episode. Suddenly, <laughs> 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 dude, what are you doing? You're just throwing money away. <laughs> a lot of people do that, and it, it, but it's good. Like I, I think you're very self-aware, which is probably one of the most important aspects to to do in this long term. I mean, again, like I don't want to sound like I'm talking about this like I'm a fucking oracle. I, I still am figuring it out every day. And like I said, I've, I've been doing it for a decade and a half. That never stops either, does it? Exactly. The, the Exactly that. The process is continual. 
And as soon as we think that we have it sorted, I think is when we get left behind. Because another important thing real quick for traders to know is like what you do today is not guaranteed to work tomorrow, man. Like markets move, conditions change. Edges change. Exactly. So if we don't adopt a perpetual student mentality, we get left behind, plain and simple. I love that. That's a great way to end this. Eric, where can everybody find you again if they want to check out more of your stuff? If they want to find that video of, that you uh, you so hate to share? Yeah, they can find me at your mom's. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter and YouTube at ES Invests. So you should be able, yeah, be able to find me there if you're interested. Everyone should know by now. Thanks again, Eric, for stopping by. Uh, we'll be back at you guys soon with some uh, some more great episodes. But till then, you know, take care. Want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.